You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here, to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder... Why haven't I done that yet? Well, today meet world travelers, Valet and Kristen, currently on a book tour zigzagging across the country. They're on to talk about their two-year, 18,000-mile bike journey from Alaska to Argentina. So after hiking the entire Pacific Crest Trail, they had the itch to do something equally epic. And the plan to bike from Alaska to Argentina was born. At the time, they didn't even own bikes. With the help of a friend, they purchased bikes suitable for touring, tested those bikes with a very short 20-mile test ride, boxed them up, and sent them on a flight to Alaska. Their journey was all about biking, making connections, and figuring out how little it takes to be genuinely happy. Kristen kept daily blogs and went on to write the book Joyride, A Bike Odyssey from Alaska to Argentina, which is available now in your local bookstore or online. Find out more at their website, which is welostthemap.com. For now, here is Vile and Kristen to tell their story. All right, a very warm welcome to Kristen and Vile. Hi. 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 Nice to meet you. How are you guys? Good. 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 So, so you two Thanks. are world travelers, and I mean that literally. And you are on today to talk about a bike tour you did. And there have been plenty of people that have been on this podcast to talk about their bike tours. But I don't think I've ever had anybody who has basically gone from couch to bike tour and went on to do two years of it. So I'm really happy to have you guys on. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having us. Sounds sure. like you've had smart people who don't do stupid things <laughs> like we do. I think I did. I rode my bike across the United States, and it took 64 days. And wow. we were actually sleeping in an RV every night. But I can tell you, day 64, I was ready to be done. So I, I my mind is blown that you were able to go two years, 18,000 miles, and I'm assuming you still love each other. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> good, yeah. good. I'm sure there were moments. Yeah, <laughs> when you questioned that. I mean, we were, after all, in a two-person tent. Oh, my goodness. Very tight spaces, so yes. That's yes, awesome. Very much so. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you're on to talk about that adventure, and you also wrote a book about it called Joyride, yeah. so I really want to make sure that we touch on that a little bit. But or a lot bit, I should say. But before we do that, where do you guys live now? Yeah, funny question. We live in the car um, because we I am on a national book tour Oh, uh, promoting my book, Joyride, a bike odyssey from Alaska to Argentina. And so this book tour began in May. My publisher, Hawthorne Books, is out of Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. uh, the introduction was by Cheryl Strayed the author of Wild and Tiny Beautiful Things. Nice. And it the kickoff was in May. We've been touring since all the way down California, zigzagging across the country. We're in D.C. right now. 
Uh, we were on a news morning show yesterday morning. We have a event tomorrow and the next day in REI, and then we're going to be zigzagging back across the country um, doing more events and bookstore talks, and then we'll end up back in Portland uh, for the closing party in October. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, full on. Wow. That's all I can say yeah. is, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we haven't even got to the bike touring yet. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about the book, Joyride? What it's, I mean, we already know what it's about. It's about the adventure, but it's so much more than that. Uh, yeah, really. I mean, the the book came about because uh, Vila and I, to backstory a little bit for listeners who don't know us at all. Um, I'm from Bend, Oregon. Vila is from Finland. Oh, and wow. we met. Yep. We met um, 15 years ago on a scuba diving boat hmm. in Vietnam. Uh, in Vietnam. And, uh, and so we have been, we were backpackers and a, a little bit more of adventures, I guess. Then I was a student doing an internship in Thailand. He was taking a vacation, being a bum, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so we met on a, in Vietnam and then we have been doing crazy adventures since mainly because, um, the green card issues, we couldn't be in each other's countries longer than 90 days. Mm. Our visas, excuse me, visa, visa issues. So we would have to be creative about where we were when we'd run out of time and then get out of the country and do different, meet in different places and do different things. And we were living in Finland when we decided, having not spent a single night in a tent together, um, had done minimal hiking and uh, decided, hey, there's this trail I heard about in my backyard called the Pacific Crest Trail that goes from Mexico into Canada. It's 2,655 miles. And what do you think about doing something like that? And he said, sure, sounds good. <laughs> Wait, yeah, and you're sure, saying, and you're saying yeah. minimal hiking experience? Yeah, minimal. I mean, of yeah. course, you guys are on all kinds of crazy adventures. So obviously, you're, you know, you can do it or you think you can do it. But you guys just did the PCT. Yeah, we just went for wow. it. Wow. Um, and yeah, this is before actually Cheryl Street's book Wild came out. So um, the PCT wasn't really on the map so much as mm -hmm. it is now. It was a lot less people even knew about it. And the year we decided to do it was 2011. So it was the highest snow year on record beatable only by this year of snow. And so we had over 500 miles of post holing in snow no. where we had a map and compass and we couldn't even see trail. So uh, in this high Sierra, so it was an intense river crossings, very intense river crossings. Wow. And so um, that was an adventure in itself. We made all the rookie mistakes. I think most people make too much weight, got blisters, I had Gore-Tex shoes, all the things. But we, you know, just one foot in front of the other and day by day got stronger and stronger and better and better at it and made our way all the way to Canada, got to through hike it all in one shot that year. And then it, somewhere in Washington, we're like, well, this is really fun, but maybe we should try something totally different. Like, <laughs> and Vila had said, I think, right? Like something about, yeah. I heard about bike, that people could travel by bicycle, put gear on bikes. Yeah, and I really, growing up in Finland, South America was always so exotic to me. So I think the initial uh, idea that, that I uh, I uh, I told her was like, what if we biked 
the uh, South America top to bottom or bottom to top. And, and uh, then it started kind of escalating from that. Yeah, because <laughs> I said, I'd really like to see Alaska and Canada. Um, and then it was, well, why not? Just put it all together. That's literally the, the extent of our planning and our trip. So, And did you, uh, have, did you have bicycles? No. Oh, my absolutely gosh. not. No. Yeah, that was so, my first bike in 10 to 12 years. Yeah. 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 So we, a um, couple years, fast, like fast forward there a few years, we had bought a house in Bend. We had remodeled it together. Any couple who's been through a house remodel together knows they'd probably rather be bikepacking <laughs> top to bottom Alaska to Argentina than doing a house remodel. So we finished up remodeling the house. We rented it to friends and then we took off. Um, we, we got these bikes just recommended by a friend, our friend, John, um, in Bend, he was a manager at a bike shop at the time, had us come in after hours. And then he helped us put our bikes together. We had no idea how to put a bike together. And so he helped us put them together. He bought us a hand tool and then we rode those bikes 10, about 10 miles up, 10 miles back, uh, the road from my parents' farm in Bend and made sure no parts fell off. We didn't load them with all the gear. We had mm. just ridden the bikes. And then we boxed it all and flew to this place called Brudo Bay, Alaska, which is the most northern place in the Americas with a road. No way. So you didn't even ride those bikes with all the gear on it? No. No. Nope. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely, this is the bike version of Cheryl Strayed's book, Wild. Because yep. she didn't even put on her backpack before she loaded it all up. So, okay, sorry, yeah. keep going. Yes. So, yeah, so we got the bikes up there and had, we're talking, so Bruto Bay is as north as uh, there are polar bears oh. up there. That's how north we're talking. Wow. So it's the northernmost point with the road. It is very, um, the weather changes about every five minutes, even in the middle of summer when we flew there, middle of June. There was a foot of snow that fell like a few days before we got there. So uh, the road is also very, very remote. If anybody's seen Ice Road Truckers, that show, oh, it's also okay. been on World's Most Dangerous Roads. It is not a paved, nice road. It is a remote road that only exists because there's an oil field all the way up at the Arctic. Mm. And this is the service road to access that oil field. And so... It is a gravel mud pit most of the year. It's 500 miles, roughly, the Dalton Highway. And it is really, really nasty and rugged and remote. And there's only one lone gas station halfway between Bruto Bay and Fairbanks. Wow. So we hadn't done any bike riding. We didn't even know how far we could get. We just knew that if we could stick to about 50 miles a day, which, by the way, we didn't know we could even ride 50 miles a day. <laughs> But we thought if we could ride 50 miles a day, we would get to the uh, Fairbanks before running out of food, which was, by the way, very motivating right. to not run out of food. <laughs> so, right. And that, that's actually yeah. a lot of food, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a bit of food and snacks and everything. I'm just thinking of I'm thinking of the weight on your bike. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We, we actually luckily because it's uh, the, the first week or so of the bike trip, we, we didn't get that famous biker hiker hunger oh, yet. Yes. So we weren't too hungry. But once we got to Fairbanks, we, we, we went started. twice a day to a buffet, I remember. <laughs> yeah. That's how hungry yeah. we were. Yeah. It took us 10 days to get to Fairbanks. Yeah. yeah. It was 
we were starving for that. Wow. Yeah. So you're our on knees hurt, our legs hurt, everything hurt. But, our, we had saddle sores, you name it, all the things. Got oh everything. my gosh. So, and you, yeah. obviously you, you continued, like there wasn't a time, or maybe there was a time when you're like, are we really doing this? I think if, yeah, because we were like, is this the whole trip going to be this hard? And then, you know, luckily after Fairbanks, it's, it's not too bad. It's fairly flat. It's, there's no big climbs and a lot of pavement on the Alcan highway. So then we were like, okay, you know, let's give it another week or two. And then we realized like, okay, we had the really, really hard part right in the, right in the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty, uh, a good learning curve, a steep learning curve at the beginning, but, um, but you know, a couple, by a couple months in, uh, you start kind of like sitting deeper in the saddle and your shoulders kind of fall and you, you start relaxing more into it. And, uh, the reason we pick these really big grandiose adventures, uh, like five months on the PCT and a two year biking trip is we all know that if you do the short vacation, you know, two weeks, three weeks vacation, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're on, you're on your vacation, but you still have all your titles, all your roles, your payments, your car, your house, all the things back home. And mm-hmm. you never really get to let those go. You're just kind of like, they're waiting there for you. And then you're right back at it with just a short break and doing these long committed journeys we know and adventures that we're going to really be able to be in it and so this was why two-year bike trip and a couple months in right all those titles Kristen the teacher the realtor uh firefighter all the things delay yeah financial analyst the construction guy <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> soccer yeah professional soccer player yeah. all the things all of those fall away and you just become you know you're there left with yourself and you grow out of that you know you really learn a lot about yourself having to go through the hard things wow so, what yeah. what do you think um and maybe there's multiple answers to this but like what th- what things really surprised you the most about this journey was it the, the physical? Was it the mental? Was it the people? Like, what would you say? Um, for me, for sure, the people. Like, at that, the kindness and how, how nice 99.999% of the people in this world are. Mm. And um, also as a surprise of, like, what I considered nice and, and you know, uh, I how I perceive myself if I'm a good guy and I do nice things and then meeting these people that, you know, just taught me <laughs> by a lot and and um, just just very humbling experience for me, at, at least personally, that uh, I realized, you know, what true kindness and, and, and um, it looks like when you when you have nothing and you're still willing to give something, you oh, know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those who had the least gave the most. Yeah. And also just like the PCT, um, the physical side of like realizing like how, how much my body can do or how much our bodies can do um, as humans. And um, at this age and, you know, sometimes I feel like we don't realize how much we can physically do and 
and uh, what it, what these bodies are meant for doing and and so it was good 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 um, reminder of of to uh, to use that this this body um, mm-hmm. fully in the physical sense yeah and not sit on a couch and and even eat bonbons eat bonbons <laughs> or drink beer <laughs> drink beer like I a lot of the days I dreamed of that but then I realized. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's better than I'm biking here in the Andes. Yes. Well, and how would you describe it, um, or what's it like to go two years where pretty much all of your possessions are like within three feet of you at all times? Everything's on your bike. Um, so to me, it's such like a simplified version of life. I mean, you know, maybe yeah. you only have two pairs of pants and that's all you have for six months or whatever it is. Um, like I would think that that's a very liberating feeling to be like, I don't have to worry about a whole house or a closet or maybe you did, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely the purest form of freedom for me. Yes. Yeah. Purest form of freedom. Absolutely. It was, uh, having so little and realizing we can subsist on so little, Mm -hmm. you know, was pretty incredible. Um, and especially when you have nothing to lose and you've slimmed your life down to the bare basics. So we, uh, um, unfortunately or fortunately for us had only 800 us dollars to spend per month on this tour because we rented our house and that was our budget. Mm. And so we ended up spending over 500 nights in our tent together. Mm. Um, we had to ask people to camp. We would go and chat with people and say, can you recommend a safe place to camp? So it was on farms, on rodeo grounds, in churches, Red Cross buildings, police stations, community centers, you name it, we slept everywhere. And uh, people were so generous in opening their doors to us and but when you can live, Vila and I could live for years with just four bags, four paneers, the basics of clothes, and a pot and a cook stove, water filter, a tent, you know, the basics, and 800 bucks a month, but genuinely be happy, yeah. then you realize how little it really takes to be happy in this life. And I'm assuming that there were moments when you were not happy, but for the most part, you were like fulfilled sure sure yes i mean always there's going to be hard things and we've done quite a few presentations and stuff where the question has been you know speak to how you continue to go even when it's really hard Mm -hmm. and for both of us i mean it started out on the pct we played used to play this game called what's worse than doing this right now oh and trust me there's always something that can be worse but also, uh, Vila and I, because we biked uh, Mexico South, so through a lot of Latin American countries and different places um, in the developed and developing world, that we were able to interact and connect with so many people that had so far less than we had, mm. even with the four bags, uh, and that's it, on our bikes, that would have given anything to be doing what we were doing on a bike tour. And you just felt so much gratitude for what we actually had. And it was the driver that keeps you going, even when times are hard. Mm -hmm. And also doing a visualization of just, okay, so if, you know, I ended up getting dengue fever and I got 
really sick um, on this ride. We've had a couple falls. We've had we've had stuff. But in every one of those moments, um, when you pick yourself back up and you say, okay, well, if I were to quit right now today and I just, what would that look like? Okay, I go get on a plane or I return home. What do I do? Do I start back working? Do we have to finish remodeling a house? Do we have to, you know, what does our day-to-day look like? And you visualize that and it never was as fun as continuing the bike tour and just seeing what's around the next bend and meeting the next amazing people along the way. Mm -hmm. It just always felt like compelled to keep going. And obviously there were no two days that were exactly alike because you're going from Alaska to Argentina, but can you describe to the listeners just what a typical day was? Um, Because, you know, I'm thinking back to when you were talking about, you know, all the places that you've camped. Um, That that was kind of a stress point when I was doing a multi-day tour of always wondering, like, where am I going to sleep tonight? Like, who am I going to have to talk to or who do I get to talk to? So speak to that like a typical day for you. Okay, I I can paint. I can paint you guys a picture. Um, I'm going to skip Alaska and and Canada because it was so easy because we literally when we got tired we would just pull into the the woods and just go into the woods and wherever because there was so much space safer moose and bears yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. if you haven't <laughs> hadn't seen a moose or a bear in, in a couple hours we would just go into the woods and sure. um uh, and camp there but latin america um normally we would just wake up um we would be stealth camping usually somewhere um so in the woods or in the bushes or in someone's yard um sometimes and uh then we would make oatmeal on our pot and then uh, just start biking. And then usually just ask along the route, ask people, is this road okay? Is it all good? Is this the shortest way and the best way for bikes to this next town? Then we would stop every hour or so for a little break from the riding and sometimes have a snack if we had a like sneakers bar or something like mm-hmm. that. Then we would just kind of like stop for lunch um, roughly around noonish, around lunchtime and, and have a lunch wherever. If there was like Latin America, we were able to afford to eat out. And so just a simple taco stand, nothing like a restaurant, but mm-hmm. like a, that kind of thing. And, and just eat a big, big lunch and uh, then uh, chat with the people and and keep riding after that and then um usually a couple hours before it got dark we started already asking people a safe place to camp usually we got invited to a house or a fire station police station hospital and um only a few times we cut it pretty close with you know the daylight mm-hmm. uh, but that's why we usually started an hour or two before it got dark and then we camp and uh, depending on if we're camping somewhere in someone's yard and, and there was a, some food in town, we would go and get some food maybe, or we would cook again, a simple pasta thing on, on our stove and uh, maybe a little bit of bike maintenance and then, you know, pitch the tent and play a mean game of rum, gin rummy on cards. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, dirty it got dirty yeah it was a lot of <laughs> a lot of yeah we're both very competitive <laughs> yeah yeah and then we we also carried 
uh, Kindles. Each of us had a Kindle, so oh, usually yeah. a little bedtime reading, and then yeah. lights off at 9 p.m. or 9:30 or something, yeah, yeah. and then uh, and then you wake up uh, when the rooster in Latin America sings, and <laughs> and then you get up and repeat. Do it again. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'm assuming over the span of two years, you had mechanicals or failure with some of your gear. So was that worked into the budget as well? Uh, no, actually, we didn't even know what we would need to fix. Yeah. We've never really done anything with bikes. Oh, sure. So we didn't even realize that we needed to do any kind of overhauls with gear until we got to LA and my uncle, my aunt and uncle who lived there, he's an avid cyclist. Um, he, uh, Lori and Steve, they, he had taken our bikes and took them into a bike shop and just had them overhaul them. And it was something, an absolutely incredible gift to us because we didn't even know that we would need to do that. Um, and so that's where we learned, okay, so we're supposed to change the chain every so often and mm. change you know all the parts so often and and so uh that was kind of a learning curve at that point and then when we kept going we would push it i think chain was supposed to be every 2000 2500 miles and we were probably four to five thousand yeah we were oh, definitely sure you know this because we didn't have that much money um to do to change those things and a lot of places we just didn't have access mm -hmm. to a lot yeah. of things in some of these countries so uh we had to be more creative um but yeah i mean zip ties and duct tape go a long way yeah, <laughs> yeah. zip yeah. ties are amazing aren't they yeah, they, <laughs> they are, are so yeah. they are so strong but yet you can cut them when you need to mm -hmm. exactly exactly so um and 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 speaking to uh camping and staying in a lot of people's yards what Vila was saying what our typical day looks like you know when you do this on a daily basis if you do anything right it's it becomes comfortable and so i think that that having a fear around where am i going to stay or where am i going to camp or who am i going to camp with if you commit and do something that you really kind of get to settle into and in such a long trip and speaking to our language we got better and better at spanish so mm. you can actually communicate with people a lot easier really opened a lot of doors and it really i think breaks down those barriers of fear maybe in your mind and it just becomes a pattern a ritual just like you were going home sleeping in your own bed sure um and it just, it never, I don't think either of us ever felt really fearful in this. At least I'm speaking for me, other than the animals in Alaska. Those were a little bit, we had some hairy situations, but um, some dogs in Ecuador and Peru, some wild dogs and mm. stuff. But otherwise, people, man, it was just so, such a beautiful journey. Buenos dias, buenas tardes, smiling at everybody, smiling and smiling. And, you know, you really get back what you give. And so... We just really tried to engage with people on this journey because the whole point was to make connections with people. Love it. And yeah. that's really, really what we did. And it's really how my book actually came out of that was that Bile and I uh, returned after hiking the PCT 11 years ago and were speaking in schools around Central Oregon um, and then also along the journey and uh, trying to give back. Uh, to especially kids, but everybody in general, but 
Um, we believe that um, you need to be able to see that anything is possible. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in Bend and nobody came to my school. I was, grew up on a farm and um, we traveled, but for sports, I did not really travel much outside the United States and until I got out of the house. And I just felt it really important to go back and, and to be able to talk about these places in a way that was so positive and to tell the stories of all the kindness and to give hope and, and inspiration to the next generation and people that feel like there may be some fear out there of these places and that give people the confidence and insight that anything and everything is possible. If these two bumbling idiots could make it from Alaska to Argentina <laughs> who had never really done any biking, then by golly, you guys could do it too. So I can't imagine um, as a young person if I – would have had that opportunity to have somebody come speak and say, I hiked this trail thousands of miles or I biked this. Like, I, I know that would have influenced me differently. It, it's amazing that you were doing that. Yeah, I think I think the, the, the goal, like she said, it, it it's just to inspire. It, it doesn't mean like go, go bike, go hike, but, but just to have that like it, you don't have to be already a professional or really good at right. what you want to achieve go go and do and all this hype that you have to have this the, the right gear and all that and you know this this nonsense so um just just the fact that like if you have the motivation that's 90 percent of it you know mm -hmm. right. if you're motivated in a mind like this is my dream this is what i want to achieve I mean, you're going to bulldoze through a lot of hurdles if if you're just really motivated. And that that's what we were, you know. Uh, we didn't have the skills already and, and, and we didn't have the right gear. But but the motivation was there, that the, the will, yeah. the passion was there. So yeah. there's nothing really stopping a person like that. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Do you want to share a story or two either from, a, you know, from your book or just an interesting story of people or places along your journey? Yeah, there's, 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 this one happened in Peru. Uh, we were super high in elevation doing one of the passes, like one of like high, our highest pass was 16,000 feet. So we had a lot of like 14, 15,000 passes. So we were really high up in the Andes and uh, it was getting dark and we just pulled over to a, literally uh, a pullover on the road um and then look we, there were some animals and people hurting the animals and we didn't know that they were actually just they had a little hot like just a really simple plywood hot underneath us um going downhill a little bit and when we saw and they were bringing the animals and they had a little corral there and and the people that were passing us were like like dirt poor you know mm -hmm. um just the whole family working like husband and wife and then kids uh, kids you know probably the youngest was like two three but they were all hurting the animals and they passed us and said hi and the kids kind of stayed and watched us because we asked if we could camp in that pullover and they said yeah absolutely it's not ours so it should be safe and um so, so the kids kind of were intrigued and stayed and watched us from distance pitch the tent and do our thing and and i started setting up the stove to cook and i don't remember if we ran out of fuel 
uh, or if it was the fact that it was the elevation oh, was, yeah. we had some problems with the elevation and it, the, the stove wasn't running well. And so we, we, we just couldn't cook our meal. And so we started like eating something. I don't know, even like we had some just plain bread or something. And all of a sudden, one of the older kids comes with this bowl of corn and meat. And um, he says, my mom wants you guys to have this. Oh. Eat it. Spanish. Uh, this, uh, yeah, obviously in Spanish, and um, the, the, they noticed that you had a hard time cooking. So this this is for you guys. And so it was a, a plastic ball, and we shared it. And um, yeah, it's just just thinking about it brings tears to my eyes because if you, if I could just describe like their situation, it's like if these people gave us that kind of food and uh, what they had, like. It, it was. It felt like a million. You you got million dollars. Wow. You know, um, such a beautiful moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and this was not the only. We're multiple very similar situations of mm -hmm. we being offered uh, food even though we never asked for. You know, and the people, their plates didn't have as much food, and they would lie to us. Oh, we just ate or whatever. You know, yeah. and our plates, our plates would be heaping with the fish and the rice, and they had just some rice it's just plain, plain rice, rice. and, and yeah. you're just like oh my god like our 25 dollars a day like boohoo like yeah, that's a lot right, of money right. you know like yeah just put everything into perspective and again going back to the very start of like how nice people can be mm -hmm. so, yeah we always brought food and shared food and uh tried to give money which always was shot down but yeah, it just, uh, the amount of kindness that was shared with us is, uh, again, reason I wrote the book was we um, had traveled through Mexico during the last um, administration changeover, and there was some tension between U.S. and Mexico at the time mm -hmm. when we we're in central Mexico, and we just weren't sure how we would be perceived. And we needn't have worried because the Mexican people were so incredibly nice to us the whole time. They would welcome us in. They'd take. They'd invite all the neighbors and introduce us to the whole town. They would have potlucks. They would take us to quinceanera parties, first birthday parties, lucho libre. Wow. We went to doll. So when we had traveled back uh, midway, we had to come back because Aviles, he was at the time on a green card, so he couldn't be out of the country more than a year. So we had to fly back from Costa Rica for a couple weeks, and we crammed in nine presentations in schools while we were home, speaking uh, in particular to being in Mexico for four months, biking, and it was just amazing to see so many students be so grateful yeah. uh, for us coming in to speak to them about how kind everybody was and how incredible our experiences were. Um, a lot of the Spanish speakers were really grateful uh, to us for coming, and it just felt like we owed it to those people, all the people that have been helping us and all the kindness we owed it to them to share their stories and to tell those. And so we've committed since to do the same. After the ride, we have continued to go back and speak in schools. We've had the privilege to go last year and speak at MIT. Mm. Um, we've been able to go speak in Nike World Headquarters and um, a lot of Prince's Cruises, a lot of different spaces to speak to different people about our journeys and all this kindness. And 
in doing so, the book came out of it. So many people had said, man, you should write a book. You can only share so much in an hour presentation. Mm -hmm. So the book came out of it. I wrote, wanted all these stories in it. I had written, um, I kept a blog because I'm from Oregon. Vile's from Finland. He has family in Norway and all of, we have family and friends all over the world. So can't call everybody and say, you know, we're good, we're alive. So I kept a blog, um, carried a laptop and camera equipment on the, on the long bike ride. And so pulled all of those blog posts and then I kind of wrote a outline and then I wrote from it. And I just wanted to capture all of these highlight stories from the journey and um, of course handed it over and it's when I was done, I, took, I thought it'd take a year to three. So I just finished this end of this last year and handed it over to a publisher, Hawthorne Books, who published it in the beginning of May. And uh, it was 500 pages and, you know, you go through lots of rounds of edits. And so not 100% of the stories are in it, but mm -hmm. it's, I think it's a fan done. They've, everybody's helped to make it a fantastic book. And and so then it was passed on from my publisher to Cheryl and she wrote it, read the book and thought that she was very inspired and inspired enough to write the introduction to it. So, wow. um, yeah, I feel very, very blessed, very lucky and, and grateful for all of it. And um, the tour is supposed to be just a handful of stops. And both Vila and I felt like, nope, this is what we commit to doing in schools. And so we're as committed to sharing these stories across the country Especially, you know, as people, I feel like sometimes these moments we feel so divided. And I, I just think reminding us that we're more similar than we are different mm -hmm. and reminding ourselves that we actually are, you know, a community and we all need to work together and um, find a way to, to be connected and see each other's, you know, strengths. And so that's what we're doing right now. I think we, I just counted, I think we're at 25, 26 presentations or events or stops that we've done so far. Wow. Um, yeah, which is a lot. And uh, we still have a good probably 10 left um, to get back, zigzag our way back to Oregon. And it's been absolutely incredible to see how many people have come out and, and supported us, but to also hear our presentation stories yeah, it's been an amazing journey. And amazing. It, and if somebody's out there listening that might be in a place that you're going to be for a book tour or a presentation, where can they go to find out information? Yes, fantastic. So on our website, if you go to welostthemap.com, you can find information on the book, on us. There's some videos on there Vile has put together um and a lot of the podcasts and news and everything tidbits that you can find um on us we're also on all the socials instagram facebook tiktok uh twitter all the things as we lost the map so you can find us there also and also the schedule and tour dates are all on those spaces too okay. and as far as the book if you're interested in the book uh joyride you can find it in any bookstore. Um, we would encourage you to go shop at your local independent bookstores. Um, we all want to keep each other in business. And mm -hmm. um, so you can find the book in any bookstore and also um, online. And it sounds like, I mean, I haven't read this book yet, Joyride, but 
you know, obviously most people that are listening to this podcast are focused on cycling in some way because it's a cycling podcast, but I'm just getting the sense that it's so much more than the physical aspect of pedaling your bike 18,000 miles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's definitely not, uh, I wouldn't say it's a how-to book. It's, yeah, like she said, it's the stories that need to be told about these these countries and these places that are usually get uh, more negatively slanted stories that these are the positive stories and and just a reminder beauty of the humankind like how how nice we are yeah exactly those who are cyclists will really appreciate the that they i think that they can relate in a way that the beauty of the bike that yeah. it allow, the way of the mode of transport and the travel that it allows us mm -hmm. to get from a place like Alaska to Argentina on just this bicycle that is self-propelled mm -hmm. and also to be able to carry, carry all your stuff on it. And um, any kind of adventure can relate to that kind of life. But all of us know most of the time that mode of transport, it's just the mode of transport really to bring us together, mm -hmm. to make mm -hmm. those connections with other people and all the learning lessons that one would come to when you have the time to think, when you have the time to self-meditate on pedaling all day, every day for two years, that those those revelations on life, um, those are really in the story too. You will, I hope it does shake people's, you know, lives. I hope it does um, make people uh, question maybe their road or their path and to to really ask yourself am i living the path that's true to myself mm. because at the end of the day that's really all that it all there is right it's it's us who have to answer to ourselves that we're doing the what we should be doing in our life mm -hmm. so definitely yeah and it's you know it's a whole different world when you can um be on a bicycle and all you really have are your thoughts and a few things on your bike and when you're going you know 10 miles an hour you get to see everything around you, which is so different than any other mode of transportation. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the countries that we went through, the bike represented a lot more. Uh, it, it represents freedom. Mm. You know, you could see the true joy of getting, like what I remember when I was a kid getting my first bike. It meant that I could easily get to my buddy's house instead of asking for a, you know, a ride over. Yeah. It was so far and similar thing. Like it can be a game changer. It can be a life changer in a lot of the countries. Now I can expand my business and it's hard for us to even imagine a situation like that um, in the Western world of, of how much a bike can change someone's life. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, it was a, also a humbling for us. Like we thought that we, cause we had heavy steel bikes that it was not the ideal bike, but there's a lot of bikes that are not as ideal and these people still do it. Yeah, and one one thing that I um that I didn't that I haven't taught spoken to much yet um on or been asked a lot on previous podcasts or things, but a lot of these faces, it is mentioned in the book that we biked through Vila and I, um, especially Mexico South, a lot of these faces, developing world uh, girls as a female biking through these countries, I didn't actually see many, if hardly any, girls or women 
that were doing what I was doing. Mm. And I felt that it was imperative that these girls do get the opportunity to see a girl who is doing um, what I was able to do. Mm-hmm. And also, like I said, to share my story in going and speaking in schools, but also to share the story through the book that it feels really important that as girls that we get to see what is possible, right? That there is no ceiling, that a lot of these spaces where these girls are, you know, they have chores at really young ages, washing dishes, doing laundry, they're moving the animals, all the things. Um, I, it, I think it's so important that they do get to see and maybe even that's the spark or the seed that's planted that that's a possibility in their life or something mm-hmm. that they could do or be or grow to. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really it was really exciting and really um I hope empowering for other for yeah. other girls. Yeah. I am definitely looking forward to reading this book, Joyride. Your website's awesome. We lost the map.com. There's a lot of good information on there and a lot of uh just entertainment, I guess I could say. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say um, to listeners that we, both Vila and I, live this life of connection, and we do hope that all of you do reach out to us and do connect with us. Um, Our information's on there, and our contact is through our website also and all through the socials. Um, If you're interested in doing any kind of adventures, if you're considering it, if you're worried about it, you're wanting to take the leap and you just want to reach out to get some some inspiration, confidence, some tips, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, please reach out to us. We would love, love, love to hear from you. Um, It it inspires us. It helps us to keep doing and knowing our work is beneficial to others. Yeah. Kristen just had yesterday a, a call with a girl um, that was moving abroad for a year and and she needed a, a pep talk and uh, we didn't know her but she had contacted us and and um, just about moving abroad and and so it can be on any topic uh, like that too yeah because we're yeah we just believe in this like um, big proponents of, of travel people traveling and seeing outside their their uh, circles and, and and growing as humans through that so yeah contact us for anything like that too yeah we we know how it feels and we know what the barriers are and the yeah. challenges so sometimes you just need that person to you know give you a high five pat you on the back and right. say you can do it you can do it mm-hmm. it's all possible right and to, to to be able to help them find their motivation inside Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So you're going to finish up this, well, you have months of a tour for the book. And of course, the presentations will probably continue into the future. But do you have the next crazy big adventure planned yet? Yeah. Or are you Absolutely. living it? Yeah. I mean, we're living this crazy advent- new adventure yeah. because... Our entire, we're used to not planning anything. We thrive on picking something we have no experience with and diving in without a plan. And now our entire, you know, couple months or the whole summer was completely scheduled and totally planned because of all the events. 
Um, and we're in a car because we wanted to do it by bike. And yeah. I feel like, you know, everybody laughed at me and said, good luck getting to all your events. And so uh, on time. So we're in this for now and we'll see where this book takes us. Um, and the, of course, we are always scheming the next and the next. Our bucket list is very full. Yeah. And so we have many, many more countries we still want to adventure through. Um, whether it be by bike, hiking, kayak, what, belay flying, squirrel suit. What's the next one? Yeah, I don't know. Totally. I'm scared to <laughs> scared to even think about it. What you <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I know a lot of yeah. a lot of listeners uh, hopefully are going to be going to We Lost the Map on all the socials so that we can follow you and cheer you from afar. Yes, yeah. thank you so much. And we would hopefully we get to see you uh, listeners out there somewhere in the in the U.S. or in the world. Yeah. Um, somewhere along this journey. Ha- get out there and have some fun adventures. You can do it. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast to share your story. And uh, hopefully people who are inspired can either communicate with you or for sure go out and get the book called Joyride. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for sharing the story. You bet. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener.